We're continuing our study of the 12 apostles. We come to the 10th one, the apostle Labius Thaddeus. Just in case you're pregnant, you're going to have some kids. Those are a couple of names. Um, the ability of God to use any or every individual is an amazing thing and classically illustrated by the king of England, King James I. Um, listen carefully. He was a habitual drunkard and uh, rumored to be addicted to other vices which could not be mentioned in public. Um, as king of England, he married off his children like pawns to suit his foreign policy. He uh, drained the total treasury to meet the cost of his extravagance and, and wine and women. Unkindly, in almost every respect, he was described by J.T. Green as follows, quote, his big head, his slobbering tongue, his quilted clothes, his rickety legs, his Google eyes stood out as a grotesque contrast with all that men recall of Henry and Elizabeth in his gable. His want of personal dignity, his coarse buffoonery, his drunkenness, his pedantry, his con uh, con incompatible cowardice. Doesn't sound like a very nice guy, huh? Yet God, in overruling providence, used this man to assemble scholars and to push through the authorized translation of the Bible in 1611, the most influential Bible of all times, the King James Version. God is not biting his nails, ladies and gentlemen. He's on the throne. Doesn't force people to do good or evil, but somehow he gets things done. Okay? You may not like it. You can take it up with him when you see him. But he's on the throne. We are told in Scripture that um, men and women are like clay in the hands of the potter. But again, people draw to wrong conclusions thinking that God forces people or makes them that way. No, you can never exclude your free will, okay? This morning you got up, you had the choice to come to church or not come to church. God didn't force you. You had free will before you were saved to make choices. You have free will after you're saved to make choices. The 10th apostle, Labius Thaddeus, is like James, the son of Alphaeus. Very little is recorded about him. Again, we're taking the order of apostles in um, Matthew 10, verse 2 through 4. Um, but there are three particular things about Labia Thaddeus that will help us uh, in our study. Let me give them to you. First, the particular names, plural, that are given to Labia Thaddeus. Secondly, the person of Labia Thaddeus. And thirdly, the proclamation of Jesus to Labius Thaddeus. Let's begin with the particular names of Labius Thaddeus. He was called Labius, according to uh, Matthew 10.3. The name comes from the word Leb in the Hebrew, which means heart. It could mean beloved child of, um, of one's heart. It could also mean large-hearted or courageous. Most individuals take it to indicate that he was a man of heart and courage. From his name, it appears he was a man of character 
and determination, perhaps as James and John, the sons of thunder that we studied, persistent in their conviction and their purposes, persevering in times of difficulty and danger. And this applies to every one of us as Christians. What you were before Christ is totally different than what you are after Christ. Now, we have certain characteristics, and we carry them over to being a Christian, but those bad characteristics before Christ, now being in Christ, we know them. We acknowledge them. And so we yield to God so he can transform us for his glory. He was uh, surnamed Thaddeus. Again, Matthew 10.3 and Mark 3.18. Thaddeus comes from the word meaning breast. Perhaps indicating the breast of a woman, the surname could refer that he was the youngest of the family, the breast child, the youngest. Uh, he was the baby of the family. He was the one looked after by all other in the family, being the youngest. And if you come from a big family, you know how that works, right? The pecking order. The name was probably a nickname um, commuting um, communicating warm affection, communicating loving endearment. Somehow as Americans, we don't understand this type of understanding because in other places of the world, your name, nicknames are, 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 are love-related. They're not given to you to insult you. Right here, you say, well, you're short. <laughs> we get all, you know, I have to go see our shrink or something. Listen. My nickname is Chaparro, Shorty, in Spanish. Your names are given to you in your genealogy, and there's nicknames. My name is Javier José Riz de Peña de Fernández de Mares. Riz is my dad's name, after my grandfather from Germany, his dad. Peña is my dad's family name through his mother, Maiden. Fernández is my mom's family through my grandparents from Spain, and Mares is that next generation through Spain also. I know my genealogy. It's up here. It never goes away. All right? And so you have nicknames, and, you know, a wife in Spanish will go to her husband, Hey, Phil, what are you doing? Ugly. What are you doing? Oh, nothing. Shout that whatever. You know? And these are nicknames of love. They're not to insult anybody. You see? People get pushed out of joint today. I'm mean, tell you, political correctness just wouldn't go in Mexico, let me tell you, in a certain way in terms of that. It just wouldn't go. Um, but, but nevertheless, I'm going to get sidetracked here. But um, um, It's a nickname, communicating affection, love. No, no, no harm intended here. Now, he was identified as Judas, the son of um, James, in Luke 6.16. His name... Uh, Judas means um, he shall be praised, if you remember in our studies. Um, we know that names depict character in many occasions of the Old Testament as we studied it. Samson means like the sun. This is what he was to be before the unbeliever. But he became self-will and destructive to the light of God. Samuel means um, his name is El, that is, that he was a direct gift from God. Remember, God needed a man, so he had to get a woman, Hannah, right? Samuel. 
Daniel means God is my judge. God knew his heart, commitment to God, and the things of God. And um, Daniel judged everything through the word of God and the direction of God. The Babylonian kingdom. He knew he was there by appointment. God kept him through the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire, everything. Amazing. Some children were um, named after the direction of God uh, in the scriptures, such as uh, Ishmael, uh, Isaac, Samson, as we said, Samuel, John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ, directly from God. The name is derived from the Hebrew name Judah, as we said, and it means praise. But it's used, the word Judah is used in different ways. Uh, Judah was the son of Jacob by Leah, if you remember. Judah was a tribe descended from Judah, the son of Jacob. Judah was a territory occupied by the tribe of Judah. And Judah was the kingdom of, uh, comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, which occupied the southern part of Canaan after the nation was divided, after the death of Solomon through his son Rehoboam. Okay? So the content is going to tell you how that word is used. Now, the name Judas is most likely his proper name with two accompanying nicknames which he was known by. Um, to the community, he was Judas. To his friends, he was a courageous man. And to his family, he was the youngest or the baby of the family. The apostle is not to be confused, though, with Judas, the Lord's half-brother, and Judas Iscariot. The fact that John goes out of his way to distinguish him by the statement, Judas, not Iscariot, in John 14, 22, when he refers to him. Okay? Very important. Little details. Judas, the son of James, Labius Sadius, was a faithful apostle, as you know. And Judas Iscariot was just the opposite, unfaithful apostle. The one who betrayed the Lord uh, for 30 pieces of silver, we'll get to him last. And the one who pilfered or stole from the treasury box. Uh, the one Jesus loved to the very end. If you, if you look at the text, and John especially, of how many times Jesus gave a chance to Judas Iscariot to repent, to turn away, to ask for forgiveness to the very end, and he rejected it every time. Please do not accuse God of having predestined Judas to hell from the foundations of the world. No. Because if God did that without giving him a chance or a choice, then God cannot be good. He cannot be holy. He has to be the most cantankerous, unfair God. And he certainly cannot be holy. For God to be holy, he cannot violate any of his attributes. He has to give you and me an opportunity, a chance, and a choice. You want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? So that you are the one responsible for your determined end. Very important. Until about the year 1100, most people in Europe had only one name. Um, with population increasing, it became difficult uh, to distinguish among people. And so surnames were added. These came from four primary sources. A man's occupation, such as John Cook or Miller. Locations such as John Overhill or John Brooke. 
uh, patrimonial, such as John's son, Johnson, okay? And characteristics like John Small, Short, Longfellow, etc., and etc., all right? Now, in addition to the need of identification, one occupation had to go a step further. The fighting men in the Middle Ages combated in warfare. They wore these heavy armored suits, which made them unrecognizable. And the fighting men, one of their own soldiers, might kill them. So what they did is they identified each other with a painted color design on their armor, uh, which the manner was born of the family code of honors. So this way you didn't kill your own person, okay? So as population and civilization grew, all these things began to put in place, okay? Um, the believer's name is Christian, identifying him or her with the family in heaven, the family of God, through the line of Jesus Christ. Are you absolutely assured of that? Do you know that? Because you've made your commitment to Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, he was buried, and rose again three days afterwards, according to the gospel of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Are you assured of that? Last night I was looking at some um, documentaries on Netflix, of John Wesley, he was an incredible man. John Bunyan, how much he suffered for uh, his uh, preaching of the gospel. In prison for 12 years at one time straight. Um, then they let him out, and then they threw him back in prison again. Incredible people. Uh, Polycarp, who, um, uh, who lived in Smyrna, and he was burned at the stake. And, and uh, Christians were thrown into the lions and, 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 and fed there. And, and Polycarp, rather than committing suicide like a lot of Christians say it's okay today, pray for the people who lit the wood. The Christians who were put to the lions, they ran towards the lions or they lifted up their eyes to the Lord. They did not take their life. A suicide is a pagan practice, not a Christian practice. Five people. And I keep mentioning that because the Christian community is publicizing it as okay. It is not okay. Okay? Your life's not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body is the temple of God. Job said, even though I slay me. Really? No, even though he slay me, I will trust in him. We were messed up before we came to Christ. We had no hope. Now we have hope. Why would I take my life? I contradict what I'm saying, what I'm teaching, what I'm proclaiming. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, take heed what you hear and how you hear. The gospel today being preached is not the gospel of the Bible. Be real careful. I've warned you for 38 years. If God gives me 10 more years, I will bore you to death and keep doing the same thing. Okay? You get out of here, you leave, you come back five years later, you're going to hear me say the same thing. How the church needs uh, pastors known as agents of praise to God, to worship him. Paul indicated this regarding Timothy. He says, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, Philippians 2.20. He tells the Philippians, I'm going to send Timothy. 
He's a man of God. He's not sinless. He's not perfect. He loves God. He'll care for you. He'll love you. He's not going to manipulate you. He's not going to use you everything else. Jesus declared on the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. That your life and mine, what we used to be, the first ones that are going to know that we've changed is our family, our father, our mother, our brothers, our sister. Our friends, they're going to just be go crazy. You used to be the life of the party. Now you're a bore. What happened? You got saved. Your eyes were open. Wow. How the church um, needs courageous Christians today as we are surrounded with so much humanistic philosophy that alienates man from God. To trust in yourself, to depend on yourself. And the Christian community, again, is, 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 is a bigger problem. The colleges, Azusa Pacific, they're all for homosexualism and everything else. They're being torn apart right now. Christian? What an oxymoron. Do I think I'm better? No. Listen, you've got to stay in the word of God. That is the only hope for you and me and for this nation. No other. Paul wrote to Timothy to continue to be courageous in the ministry of Ephesus because already that he was being attacked and heresy had come in and everything. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind in 2 Timothy 1.7. Are you paralyzed by what's going on? Do you think God's biting his nails? We're right on schedule. I don't like the schedule, but we're right on schedule. Have your eyes to see what's going on in reality, but understand also God's on the throne and he's put you on this earth to serve him, to glorify him, to be his instrument wherever you go. Paul reminded Timothy that it is spiritual warfare. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. He says, uh, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. Those of you who serve in the military service, you know that take you to boot camp, they break you down. They're preparing you. You know what they're preparing you? To die for this nation. Not to think of yourself. That's what the gospel does to you. To think of others, not yourself. Very important. Because we can be distracted. We can be enticed. We can be tempted. Nothing wrong with a house. Nothing wrong with a car. Nothing wrong with having a nice haircut. Nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But you start living for those things and thinking those things are more important. You're a dead man. You're a dead woman. It's just a matter of time. Nothing wrong with those things. Paul demonstrated to Timothy that he had counseled him. As he was waiting execution, listen to his words. Paul, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Second Timothy 4, 7, 8. Just shortly after that, Paul's head was going to be cut off. I finished my course. Did he take his life? Did Paul commit suicide? Wow. God help those pastors that are giving a pass. I wouldn't want to be them. How the church needs men and women 
for children who have the heart of God. I mean, you remember when you were in the world. I remember. I haven't forgotten. I love to drink and party and everything else goes along with it. That's what I live for. The weekends. And I practice in between Monday through Friday. So I'm like, well, I was ready for the week. You know what I mean? But now, God comes in my life, changes me around. Many of my friends have come to the Lord. Some haven't. As you know, my, one of my real good friends, two good friends, Joe Elias and Joey Hernandez, me and Joe got saved. He pastors Cornerstone there in Covina. Joey didn't. Got into heavy drugs, all that. Got into other troubles. His mom dies, I do her funeral. Visiting him, praying for him. Forty years later, he gets born again when I bury his mom. You giving up on somebody? You think it's too late? You think they can't be saved? Listen, you got saved. I should encourage anybody. The heart of God, David said he was a man of God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14. People have a hard time with that. David, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. You want to know the sin that God hated against David? Don't look in Samuel. Look in Chronicles. David numbered the people. That's the sin that God hated. Because that's the record from God's perspective. He numbered the people. He says, I don't trust God. I'm going to count my soldiers. Wow. We said, well, it's a woman. No, no, God says, the numbers, you don't trust me. God's perspective, man's perspective. Two different things, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss it. The common phrase in the scriptures, the purpose in one's heart refers to the wholehearted commitment of a person that is void of hidden agendas and ulterior motives towards God or the things of God. All of us still have sin nature. You have to be careful. That's why we have the new nature. Got to check it. Warfare. Psalmist says, praise like this. Teach me my, your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 8, The church has lost the fear of God. There are people that walk in here who have walked away from God. They're living with somebody. They're partying. And they walk in and they sit here. It doesn't affect them. I'd be real afraid. There's no shame. There's no conviction. There's nothing. Ooh. Heavy. Paul says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. There's a pure motive of the heart. Not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loves a hilarious giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Again, God doesn't look at what you give, how much you give. He gives, why do you give it? Why do you do what you do? What do you give? If, if it's not from the heart because you love God, then it's, it means nothing to God. This is what you and I have to check all the time. And I don't always know what's in my heart. Sometimes I think I'm doing it for the right reason and God nails me and I go, oh, Lord, forgive me. Been there? The particular names, Labius, Thaddeus, and Judas, all designate the same person. 
Secondly, we have the person of Judas, Labius Thaddeus here. Labius Thaddeus was one of the 12 apostles, as we said, and he has chosen after an entire night in prayer, Luke uh, 6, 12 through 13. So Jesus didn't just say, okay, uh, how many am I going to choose? He, he went to the Father. The Father directed him. He's distinct from the 70 that, um, that were sent out. The 12 were a specific order. Um, he is in the third group of the four, as we've seen. The first group of four were the most intimate in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. You have Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The second group of four were the less intimate in fellowship with the Lord Jesus, Philip, Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, uh, both names, Thomas, and Matthew. And then, of course, the third group of four here were the least intimate in fellowship with Jesus, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite that we'll see next, and then last of all, Judas Iscariot. Three groups of four, different concentric circles um, in closeness. Now, Labia Stadius appears in different orders in the list, too. So as you look at the different lists in the four, you, you see some differences, some similarities and all that, and it's just interesting. Uh, Matthew um, has him 10th in the list of the 12 of Matthew 10.3. He follows James, the son of Alphaeus, and he is the second in the list of the last four, uh, group of four. Uh, in Mark, Mark 3.18, he is also 10th in the list of the 12. He follows James, the son of Alphaeus, as in Matthew, and he precedes Simon the Canaanite, as in Matthew. Luke 6.16, he is 11th in the list of the 12, and he follows Simon the Zealot, or Simon uh, the Canaanite, and he is called Judas, the son of James. So again, you have to follow the names. Sometimes the second name was given of them. Um, in Acts, he is the 11th in the list of the apostles. He follows Simon the Zealot, as in Luke's list. And he is the last in order due to the fact that Judas Iscariot had already hung himself by that time. He is always second or third in the last group of four. He is 10th or 11th in the overall list of the 12. In each listing, he is in the Gospels or Luke's. There is a leader for each group, as we've seen. Even though we see the differences, there, there is a leader for each group. Peter is the leader for the first group of four, always. Philip is the leader of the seven group of four, and then James, the son of Alphaeus, is the leader for the third group of four. But again, as we mentioned before, never interpret this four groups of four, as if you might see concentric circles, that God is a respecter of person. He's wise. He knows who belongs where and why he puts you there. He doesn't respect people. Okay? That's wisdom. You and I have a tendency to respect people, not God. Now, there's an old movie. I don't even know if they play it anymore. Some of you young people won't even know what I'm talking about. But let me describe it to you. It's an old movie by Jimmy Stewart, an actor of the past, and it's called um, A Wonderful Life, which um, Jimmy Stewart 
believes that he should have never been born. He would have been better off if he was never born. So he goes to this bridge. He's going to jump off into this icy bridge. And he jumps off, and, and his guardian angel um, pulls him out and everything else. And then he takes him through his life in that town to show him how he had affected individual lives for the good, which gave him a different perspective of his life to appreciate the town, the city, and everything else. So it is with you and I. You will never know fully and completely how you have affected the lives of people, moms, your children, dads, your children, husband and wife, each other, your in-laws, alias outlaws, (laughs) friends, strangers, you are the extension of God. I think of my life. If God had not saved me, where would I be? What would have happened to my... I, I, I would not be married. You wouldn't want to be married to me. The old Xavier. No way. My children. Probably would have had different grandchildren. My life would have been so different. But by the grace of God, you see your own life. The grace of God. But Satan wants you to look at the bad stuff and to live in regret. Listen, where God has cleansed, no man can call common. He told Peter. We don't live in the trash. (laughs) He has cleansed us. We're children of God. We have our eyes on the Lord. Our hope is never in us. Our hope is in Him and Him alone. This is what the people in America need to hear from the pulpits of America, ladies and gentlemen. They're not getting it. All they're getting is a super-injected humanistic gospel to love yourself and think you're the latest, hottest thing since ice cream. Wow. The place that the Lord Jesus has appointed you to is of the most critical nature for the development of your own spiritual growth and then how you will affect others. You have at least one gift, First Peter 4.10 says. I don't know what that is. You need to go to the Lord. But I know you have at least one gift. Most of us probably have more than one gift. And either you will build up the body of Christ or you will tear it down. The motive to build up the body is agape love. Ephesians 4.16. So when you come in here, do you come in here to say, what can you do for me? Or are you here because God has brought you here and you're saying, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? Don't come and ask me. For 38 years, I marvel every time I get behind this pulpit. And how God puts it all together throughout the week and on Sundays and how he just does everything and takes care of us and protects us. Amazed. No one's more amazed in this ministry than me. There will be times in the body that you will occupy different levels of ministry. You may be over a group of people one time. The next time you may be under somebody. You may manifest your gifts in different ways at different times. Different combinations. Romans 12, 3-5 gives you that according to the measure of faith and the various gifts. 
But you do what you do because you love the Lord and you do what you do because he's directing you. Not because a pastor tells you, not because the elders tell you, not because you're trying to impress people, not because you want to fit in, not because you want to whatever. Because God is directing you. If you don't know if God has you here, I would, t- I would ask you to go to pray this week. Lord, do you want me to keep going to Calvary Chapel, Pasadena or not? You need to know God has you here. That's important. The important thing is that we be faithful to our ministry and our gifts then. It is required the steward that won't be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It is honored only when it's done through agape love. The purest motive in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. When you do some model love and people say, you know, I really appreciate you. Like, Don't worry about it. Because it's no big deal. You did it because you loved them. You wanted to do that. And they feel kind of awkward at times. You've all been there. But because it's done out of love, it's no big deal. It's to be done decent and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. That's why we study the word of God. We want to make sure that we do what we do according to the word. Not, because, not, not according to the pastor. Not according to the elder. Not according to what the denomination. What does the Bible say? How are we to conduct ourselves as Christians? How are we to run the house of God? How are we to handle this, this, and that, and everything else? Well, let's get our face in the Bible. Let's find out what God tells us. This book is not that thick. And it, and it has a solution for every generation until the Lord returns. He left nothing out. If you think God, after he gave all the revelations, he said, oh, God, I should have put that in. Never. Now, I've done that in the sermons, but not God. And so the person of Levi Estadias was a vital link, listen, in the 12th. You may not think your toe is very important. Have it amputated. <laughs> you might think your toe is not important. Oh yeah? Have it amputated. You know what they did in the Old Testament for the enemies? They cut their toes off and their right thumb. Couldn't hold the sword. Couldn't hold their balance. Now, you get in an accident, you do with it. You improvise, but you can't see your 100%, right? It's just simple. Thirdly, the proclamation of Jesus to Labia Stadius. We go to the Gospel of John. Um, John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus spoke to them about the Holy Spirit the night before and his ministry related to him. And in uh, John 14, 19 through 21, Jesus was talking to his disciples about leaving the world. And in 19, Jesus said to them that a little while longer the world would see him no more, but they would see him. Uh, he was going to be crucified and buried, as you know, and no other unbeliever would see him again after the, his death. When he appeared, he appears only to believers, not to non-believers. Okay? Very important. He was going to be risen from the dead, and they would see Jesus afterwards, and they saw him in Galilee, the upper room, different places. And, and Jesus then said in 19, because I live, you live also. Jesus would defeat death, by paying the ransom for sins and remove the sting of death by tasting death for every person. Matthew 20, 28, 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and Hebrews 2, 9. That's what he did for you and me. That's why you have living hope. 
That's why you keep your eyes on Him. Jesus would live through them. The crucified life. Romans 6 says, 6, 6 says, I have been crucified. Past tense. Born again. Verse 11. I am to crucify the old man daily. Every day you get out of bed, the old nature is there to say, Hey, can I help you? And you have the new divine nature. Who are you going to yield to? The crucified life, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives through me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know anything about that? 45 years. Warfare. You are born into warfare. You don't, God, God says, okay, how many of you Christians want to go to warfare? No, no, no. You're born into warfare. Get the armor on. Understand the enemy. Learn how to fight. Jesus also said in verse 20 that at that day they would um, know that he was in the Father and they in him and he in them. The Holy Spirit would be sent by the Father as the other comforter just like Jesus, uh, John fourteen sixteen says. In 26 it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And that's why we study and we depend on the Spirit of God to minister to us, to turn on the light, to give us the understanding of this stuff as we study the scriptures. And then in verse 21, Jesus then lays down the proof and evidence of being his disciples. Listen carefully. He who has my commandments and keeps them, not just hears them, keeps them, is he who loves me. Now, parents, you know. How do you know your children love you? If they obey you. When they don't obey you, at that moment, they're loving themselves more than you. Simple. They say, mom, me, forget mom, me. You know what I mean? It's all there. Obedience is honored only when it is motivated by love for Jesus. Love is the purest and most loyal motive. Why? It's not a duty. It's a choice. He who loves me will be loved of my Father, he says in verse 21. So love is extended to all the family members. The Father will love us as he does the Son. You understand that? That the Father loves you as his Son? And the love for his Son? We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, joint heirs? Wow. In verse 21 still, And I will love him and manifest myself to him. To reveal oneself is to withhold nothing. Being unreserved, revealing truth. When a man and a woman come together, they get married. They hold back nothing. My wife's body is not her own. Her body belongs to me. My body belongs to her. Unreserved in a way that would honor God. The way the scriptures teach, not the way the world teaches all the perversion and everything else. It's an openness to one another completely, even as our intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing is hidden, nothing at all. To be unreserved is an act of love. 
You're giving of yourself to another. Judas Labius Thaddeus was not understanding the words of Jesus at this point here in John 14. Look at verse 22. Judas was thinking in physical terms at the words of Jesus that Judas had the Jewish mind of the kingdom, so they thought they were going to rule and reign as they were always arguing who was the greatest in the kingdom. And um, um, Judas was attempting to reconcile this truth and clear up his confusion. Judas Thaddeus here, the courageous man of heart, asked Jesus for clarification. That is such a good idea. When you don't understand something, go to God. Open your Bible, go to God and say, Lord, show me, give me wisdom. Look what he says there in verse 22. He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? The idea of the disciples seeing him and not others was confusing, having no idea that Jesus was talking about a spiritual manifestation in his absence from the earth during the church age. He's in heaven, but he's still the head of the church, and he ministers, and he saves, and he directs, and he guides, he convicts, he illuminates. He takes care of his church. The head Christ would reveal himself to and through his body, the church, to reach the lost of this world. As you were reached, as I was reached. As he will continue to do that until the day he takes his church home. Now look at verse 23 through 24 of John 14. Um, Jesus was willing to articulate what he meant. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. The evidence of loving Jesus is obedience to his word. The benefit of loving Jesus is that the Father loves the one who loves Jesus. You cannot separate the Father from the Son. In verse 23, Jesus continues and says, And we will come to him and make our home with him. So the Godhead is one, the perfect unity and harmony. Godhead is composed of the three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Back in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, El is one. El is one, Allah is two, Elohim, an I am ending in Hebrew is a plurality, three. Genesis 1-26, and let us make man in our image. That's a conversation of the Trinity, not God and the horny toads, okay? Our image. You're creating the image and likeness of God, not a monkey, all right? Jesus said, He who does not love me does not keep my word. Verse 24. So the lack of love is evident by a lack of concern for the pleasing of another. Right? The evidence of self-love is pleasing oneself. Pick up the magazines. Put on the TV. Look at the movies. Talk to people. It's all about me. Worse yet, it's in the Christian community. It's not all about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And our coming to him so he can transform our lives. Look at 24 still. Jesus said, and the words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. The word were those of the Father in the Old Testament prophecy and the warnings and everything that he gave. The Father had sent Jesus with 
his word. He constantly says, I, I, I came to bring you to the Father, right? I and the Father are one. 36 times John says in his gospel that Jesus was sent by the Father. 36 times. Tradition tells us that Judas, Labius, Thaddeus had the gift of healing. In other words, God used them to heal. Not that he could just do it anytime he wanted to. God uses the gift sovereignly as he wills. The only gift you can turn on and off at your will is speaking in tongues. The rest, God uses sovereignly as he wills. Tradition tells us that he went to Syria, healed a king named Adgar, and was converted. And uh, he was martyred by a nephew of the king who was an apostate. He's usually prefigured by a symbol of a big club, which he supposedly was beat to death with. A.W. Tozer says the following. Listen carefully here. Quote, we are not forced to obey in the Christian life, but we are forced to make a choice at many points in our spiritual maturity. We have that power within us to reject God's instructions, but where else shall we go? If we refuse his word, which way will we turn? If we turn away from the authority of God's word, to whose authority do we yield? Our mistake is that we generally turn to some other human, a man with breath in his nostrils. I am old-fashioned, Tozer says, about the word of God and its authority. I am committed to believe that if we ignore it or consider the commandments of holiness as optional, we jeopardize our souls and earn for ourselves severe judgment to come. A man after my own heart, he understands the word of God. He's talking to Christians. Today, the emergent church gives permission for you to drink, to cuss. The pastors cuss from the pulpit. They have beer bashes, everything else. So what's the difference between you and the people in the world and before you were in Christ? Take heed what you hear and how you hear, ladies and gentlemen. It is a most perplexing thing to those in the world as it was with Judas, Labius, Thaddeus, that Jesus reveals himself to us through the scriptures and speaks to us from heaven. The unbelievers think uh, such talk is mere, um, a mere crutch to get through life. We're void of reality. In fact, they even say we're crazy. But you know, Festus told Paul, Paul, much learning has made you mad in Acts 26, 24 to 25. You remember during the presidential election when Penn said that God speaks to him. How they jumped on that and mocked him. Well, they would never do that to Islam. They would never say that about Muhammad. Hmm, interesting. Well, let's move on. The believer um, fails to understand Jesus is not our crutch. He is our total dependency. They have to understand this clearly. Apart from me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5 says. I cannot trust myself. I cannot depend on myself. I have to run things through the word of God. This 
are my marching orders. It is of the utmost importance the believer understands spiritual truth without attempting to figure out every little detail sometimes in some doctrines. At times, believers try to attempt to understand the doctrine of predestination and free will in a rational, logical way, ending up in a complete contradiction, and you end up either choosing to be a Calvinist or an Armenian, as so-called. Well, first of all, those are two men that, 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 that these systems are built under, but in the first 300 years of the church, it never existed. It wasn't until Augustine through the Catholic Church in the 4th century that he developed this whole predestination of, of a few go to heaven and the rest to go to hell. And then Calvin came by and he formulated the tulip. A tulip's a nice plant, but it's a rotten doctrine. Um, if you haven't gone through Calvinistic series that I did, get on the internet and download it and go through it, understand it. Calvinism is a sterile doctrine. It's a mule. It cannot reproduce. What it does, it tries to convert Christians into Calvinism rather than seeking the lost to be saved. It's real simple. Be careful. Moody used to say that um, those are two lines that we don't know how they cross here on this side of heaven. But when we get there, we'll see how they are. It's kind of like being in a boat and you have two oars. If you only have one, you go in circles. You need two to go straight, right? Would you say they're op opposite to each other? No, they complement. Simple. It should be understood that even as Judas Labius Thaddeus here was given an answer, so will Jesus answer us through the scriptures if we ask the questions to him and willing to wait on him and walk with him. He says, ask me. I'll show you things that you know not in prayer. We're not to lean to our own understanding, but in every way acknowledge him. He will direct our path. Proverbs 3, 3 through 5. Every way, every, every area. We're to not be anxious for anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We're to make our requests known to God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep and guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Sometimes you have to just pray through. The old, old Pentecostal phrase, pray through. Don't get up till you have the peace of God. Wait on them. We want everything fast. Overnight. We're to let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lack of nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, James says, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a waste of the sea driven to, to and fro with the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, James 1, 5 through 8. And so there's the warfare for me to doubt, for me to question. Your Lord, I, I go to the Lord. You got to go to the Lord. You don't go to your pastor. You go to the Lord first. If you can't work things out, ask your pastor, your elders or friends that are godly to pray for you to, to be, keep you in prayer. And that's fine. But we always go to the Lord first. He's the one. We should never forget that obedience is the secret of blessedness and love is the secret of obedience according to the words of Jesus. Listen, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. John 13, 17. Do them, not hear them. Do them. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Wow. The proclamation of Jesus to Labias Thaddeus was of a spiritual nature. A spiritual nature, ladies and gentlemen. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. It is warfare. 
You've got your flesh. You've got the devil. You've got the world. And God has given you the mind of Christ, the heart of God, a new nature, a family church where you can grow, develop, raise your children, protect them, have others who will come alongside you and move through life with you. We just buried Ruth yesterday, a friend for over probably 40 years, 38 years. As her pastor, what a faithful woman she was. Uncompromising. She affected more people in this body than anything else. Her children, her grandchildren, others here. Many of you knew her. People are not committed today. They hop from church to church. You need to go to the Lord. Lord, where would you have me? People that are committed, they are committed. People that just jump around, they're flakes. They're superficial. Now, I'm not going to tell you where to go, but you better make sure you go where they teach you and not entertain you. People are going to confront you. Faithful the wounds of a friend, deceitful the kisses of the enemy. Very important. And so this 10th apostle, according to Matthew's list, may not have much information about his life, but... Man, what's presented serves to teach us many things, doesn't it? The particular names of Labius, Thaddeus, and Judas all des- designate the same person. The person of Judas, Labius, Thaddeus was a vital link in the 12th. He was needed, essential. The proclamation of Jesus to Judas, Labius, Thaddeus was of a spiritual nature. God is more concerned about your spiritual life than your physical life, ladies and gentlemen. And if your spiritual life is right, everything else is going to work. Listen to me. I told these people at the funeral yesterday, you're going to die right on time. You're going to be the first one to know. No one dies by accident. God's in control. Be concerned about your spiritual life. You have to fall in love with God's word. God's word and Jesus are synonymous. You can't separate them. You just can't do that. He's the word of life. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We thank you for this morning and just your grace. Thank you for every person that's here. And Lord, we pray for your church. We pray for the pastors, Lord, that they would turn to you, that they would turn from all this junk that they're teaching, that, Lord, you would just use them to reach the lost Father, these Christian colleges that have lost their way, Lord, keep us right in the palm of your hand that we may honor you. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're here, maybe you're over the Internet. Maybe you're out there somewhere in the world, maybe in France, maybe in Germany, maybe down in the island of Tonga, wherever you're at. Jesus Christ died for you. He rose from the dead, and he is able to forgive you of your sins if you believe that he is God who became man to die for you and to forgive you. But you must call on his name. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. This is your prayer of repentance if you want to be born again. This is your prayer to Jesus, not to us. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept Jesus 
as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.